How important is our imagination when it comes to contemplating God and his greatness? And what do we do to exercise our imaginations? Join us today as we leave behind facts and knowledge and we dive into the realm of the imagination, trying to create a story impromptu with one another. Welcome to Wadi Cherith, the podcast where we didn't read Lord of the Rings in high school because we played sports. I'm Father Alex Roach. Joining me today is Father Anthony Dill. Hey, Alex. Also, I didn't read it because I'm just a slow reader. It's embarrassing, but thanks for bringing it up. (laughs) That hostile, aggressive intro uh, is connected to the topic of this month's podcast, which, as you recognized in the introduction, is a little bit unique. We're doing something a little different, trying to utilize imagination a little bit more. We're recording it the day before Halloween, uh, so there's a spookiness in the air. Yeah, we enjoyed, at least I enjoyed, doing the Halloween episode last year, and we talked about imagination and these fictional characters and how they kind of open up our minds to to different realities. And so we thought we would just let our minds kind of be opened a little bit and, and try to do a scary best case scenario, scary story, or at least funny. If we, we lose scary at some point. Oh, it'll be scary. Oh, it'll be scary. Oh, <laughs> it'll be scary. <laughs> so we already tried to do a round or two of this and it was okay, but we're still learning the craft of storytelling. But after we recorded at night, when I went to go to sleep, because I was just like kind of letting my imagination fly, it was funny because I, I was actually scared to be in my own bed and go to sleep, which there's no reason to be. I, I'm never scared in my house. Um, but I just like, I allowed my imagination to start thinking of every possibility of every corner of my room. And I just was, was actually scared myself. That's strange. That's weird. That's it's just fun. That's no, that's, that's no, that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's uh, we we were not scary. I no, mean, it wasn't that we were scary. It was that I allowed my imagination to get opened up. I think that I like. I, I think I was just like I, I put all the gas there, and so it, it. It's not like I was thinking of things we talked about. It's that my mind just started like wondering about different things, like even like not monster under the bed per se, but monster under the bed. Like, <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> in the closet. In the dress, behind the dresser, yeah. things like that. Not literally yeah. under the bed, but yeah, in other like, places in my room. He's not going to fit under my bed. I mean, <laughs> not what stupid. kind of monster not is that? stupid. <laughs> Why are you scared of something that? So condescending. It's that not going to fit under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> so I made the reference to Lord of the Rings because there are some – uh, beloved authors uh, like J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, is that the right number of R's? J.R.R. Yeah. Uh, Dozen. C.S. Lewis, which is just two initials, like a normal person. And <laughs> they wrote kind of fantasy works that had some kind of Christian allegory to them. 
C.S. Lewis, Lewis was a little bit more direct and explicit. Uh, Tolkien, uh, what they say, was was a bit more kind of fluid and flexible with his Christian allegory. Um, but there is a tradition, even outside of those two, of uh, storytelling kind of having a role in the faith. So we might not get to the allegorical level of Tolkien in this podcast. Maybe. We don't know. We haven't started yet. Because we're just making it up on the spot. But <laughs> we just consequently like opening up with your imagination and applying it um, to different things helps you to see things from different perspective and, and possibilities and creativity. And eventually that helps you. We always want to limit God. Um, we just naturally put rational limits on God and sometimes using your imagination and your prayer or thinking about God helps you to break some of the, the limits that you subconsciously put on them. I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I do find that, you know, I go through sort of cycles and, and phases when I'm reading. Sometimes I like reading nonfiction, history, theology, uh, sometimes uh, science, uh, sometimes, though, I prefer reading fiction, and I'll go through a phase where I'm reading a lot of works of fiction. And I do think my preaching improves when I'm reading fiction. Uh, it it activates that creative part of my brain, that imaginative part. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I just said it improves it. I didn't say it was good at any stage, although it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> saying, <laughs> but but the, there is something... Uh, that can benefit like the theological imagination when you're, when you're engaging in sort of creative imaginative type of uh, thinking. I agree. Not that I'm listening to a lot of your preaching, but like when you're reading a nonfiction, they kind of have a monopoly on the information. So it has to be written well enough for you to understand the information, but the, the goal is to learn. Whereas in fantasy or fiction, it's to be taken on a ride to go, through a story and and be able to imagine a world. And I, it does, it allows you to use the language in a more poetic way. Right. So do you want to lay out the structure for this uh, adventure? We're going to, we're going to go on here. Yeah. So it's going to be, we get to kind of free flow and take turns. We were experimenting with different rules and w the rule that pushed the plot the most was lightning round. And that is we will take a timer and every minute, it's the other person's turn. So once the bell rings, you can maybe finish a word or two, but you need to let go of the story and the next person gets to do things to it. So let's just do, um, do you want to just do one free flow round each and then go into four minutes of one minute lightning round and then sure. wrap it up? I, I will do the uh, the stopwatch function on my phone and I'll make a dinging sound when a minute's up when we get to that point. Okay. You say so you're not going to you're not going to let the thing make the sound yourself. Well, it doesn't have. I don't have the capacity to do that. Okay, I don't either. We're in a real jam here right off the bat. It's not a jam. We got it. <laughs> you wouldn't label that as a jam. It's. I, I think, uh, Father, that uh, obstacles are, are opportunities. That's that's how I look at it. Wow, it's a good theme for our story. <laughs> <laughs> have at it. Oh, it's me. All right. Right. Let me think. Just give me a quick hot second here. Okay. Becky was wiping snot from her two-year-old child's face, telling her son 
Tommy to blow the snot out, but he wasn't listening. He's just pulling his face away, trying to get away from the tissue and from the friction that was caused by it. He didn't care if he had snot on his face. It's way too much snot. I think you should start that over. <laughs> you don't like the snot? No. Are you kidding me? You're stopping Super the story awkward. now? I would have stopped. I would have stopped. I would have stopped listening. Oh, it was, it was 10 seconds long. I know. That's how bad it was. Whatever. Right. You just start again. I'll cut that out. If you want to go back to snot. No, we don't need to have start. At it. No, you can just leave it. I'll start again from scratch, but we'll <laughs> just let it record because nobody's going to edit this thing. Okay. Bobby was staring at his blank TV. He was thinking about turning something on, but he, he was just so apathetic. He didn't even want to do that. He decided to lay his head down on the pillow for a second and just rest. He was exhausted from work, but it wasn't just that he was exhausted. He just didn't have a strong will to do really anything at this point. He kind of just didn't know what he was doing with his life. And it turned into this sad cycle. He thought, if I watch something on TV, like, what is it going to do? Is it going to make me like laugh a little bit? Or is it going to motivate me? Or is it going to make me believe in something? I don't know what I believe in. And as he pulled his head back up, he decided to just go out for a walk in the neighborhood. He was walking in the neighborhood and he lives in a okay neighborhood. It's mostly homes that like are, I don't know, 500, 1,000 square feet, so small homes, but some hold families. So there's one or two kids in some of them. He saw a couple of kids outside. A lot of people hang outside because their homes aren't that big. Saw a couple, I actually saw kids playing jacks on the sidewalk. And he said, that really took him for a loop. What kids play jacks since Nintendo came out in the 80s? Who's playing jacks? But he decides to keep walking. Um, he walked by, he lives in, uh, a neighborhood and there's a church in the neighborhood. He saw the church and it was, uh, the lights were on inside. So he went in to check it out. And as he went into the church, he sat in one of the pews by himself. And instead of staring at his TV, he stared at the empty church and stared at the crucifix above the altar and just kind of was zoning in and out a little bit. And he was starting to get a little more energy and, and just felt rested. It was nice. He felt peaceful and rested there and left and, and started walking again when all of a sudden uh, one of the kids we saw playing jacks earlier sprinted past him. And the kids were probably like six or seven. And as the kid sprinted past him, he looked back to see what was going on. And, and the other three kids who were playing were crying. It was two boys and two girls. And he wasn't sure what happened. And he wasn't sure where this kid was sprinting. So he asked if everything was all right, but the, the kid didn't answer back. And he wasn't sure which kid to follow or which way to go, um, but he was feeling pretty good about himself because he just kind of like rested and uh, felt a little peace for the first time that he felt like he was useful and should do something about it. So he walked back to where the game was and the other three kids were there crying and said, what happened? Are you guys okay? He said, yeah, we're okay, but some guy drove his car up on the sidewalk and and ran through our game and almost hit my friend. He went and ran to tell his mom. And he said, rode up on the sidewalk because he's still there. No, he drove off. He was in some kind of blue car. Blue car. 
Is, was it just one person or was there a couple of people? I said, there's two people in the car and I don't know what they were doing or if they saw us or not. They didn't, they didn't say anything to us. They just drove up right at us and then sped off. So he decided to call the police about this and he called the police and he got officer Duncan and officer Duncan said, what seems to be the issue? And he talked about this car and he said, we actually had a, another call about this car as well. It's, it seems to be speeding all over town. We'll send a, a couple troopers out to, to look for him. So he thought he was done with this story and, and that it was going to be in the police's hand. And he continued to start to walk back. And as he was walking back to his house, uh, two police cars zoomed by him. And then, uh, Coming the other direction, a minute later, it was the blue car that they were talking about. And as the blue car was coming, it almost hit him and he tried to dive out and, and ran into a bush. And then the blue car actually stopped and they said, get in. And he was really scared about this. But one of the guys was holding a gun who came out of the blue car and picked him up by uh, the arm and he squeezed his arm and threw him into the backseat of the car and they went and then he could hear the sirens in the background. As the car sped along the country road leading out of his development, Bobby was filled with fear and anxiety and confusion with no clue what was going on. He caught a glance in the rearview mirror of the police car approaching rapidly uh, to his surprise, the blue car as the police gained ground on him, uh, pulled over to the side of the road. The police officer stopped. There were two cars right behind him. So there was plenty of reinforcement. And as Bobby was kind of expecting a standoff, he looked at the front seat and noticed that the door was open, that both of the men in the car with him had taken off into the woods off of the side. Bobby was waiting for some direction. Uh, eventually one of the troopers came over and kind of escorted him back to their car, questioned him about what had happened, uh, got his story and his testimony. As he was sitting there talking with the, uh, state troopers, he noticed that the police had apprehended the two men that had ran off. They brought the men back, uh, put them in the back of another car, uh, presumably took them back to the, to the station. The officer, after taking uh, Bobby's testimony at the station, returned him home. Bobby walks back inside. At this point, it's pretty late decides he's going to call it quits for the night and goes to bed. While he was asleep, he had a had an odd dream. Uh, he couldn't really make heads or tails of it. Uh, didn't make a ton of sense. He wasn't sure if he remembered it completely correctly. But the gist of the dream was that Bobby had a sense that he was falling from a very high precipice that is just falling and falling and falling. And over and over again, he wasn't sure if it was internal or external. It was a dream after all. 
he heard this voice saying, prepare, prepare, prepare. As often happens when you have a dream where you're falling, he was kind of jarred awake and kind of braced himself against the bed. Uh, He looked over at his alarm clock and noticed it was 6 a.m., about time for work anyway. So he got up and, and kind of continued his morning routine and went into work. When Bobby uh, arrived at his office building, he walked into his desk, sat down, and saw the blinking light on his voicemail. He keyed in his code, uh, went into his voicemail, and all he heard was a voice. He thinks the same voice from the dream saying, prepare. The interface of the machine indicated that the message should only have been 10 seconds, but this message went on over and over again. Bobby listened for about three or four minutes and it just kept going and he couldn't understand how this was happening. After three minutes of just prepare being repeated over and over again, he hangs up the phone and kind of rocks back on his desk, trying to make sense of what's going on in this moment. All right, you want to do lightning round? Lightning round! Go. He wasn't sure what he was supposed to prepare for. He just kept racking his brain. On the surface, how is this message coming to him? How's it coming through his voicemail? That didn't make sense. But once he kind of accepted the message was there, what am I supposed to prepare for? And he starts going back into his head, what has happened? And he goes back and sees those kids playing jacks. Um, and in his memory, it's like a little distorted and he can't remember ever anything or everything about it. And he goes back a little further the day before and the day before, and just kind of this monotony of, of work happening every day and coming home from work. What is he supposed to prepare for? He knows things have been like slowly slipping out of his life. He hasn't been super conscious about repairing things at his house. He's been super conscious about the future in general. Things have been slipping by, but is this voice telling him he needs to get his ding, act ding, together? Ding. As he's running through this, he recognizes and then uh, just comes to this uh, conclusion that I know what I have to prepare for. It's Halloween. <laughs> I don't have any decorations up. I don't have any candy that I purchased. I got to get ready for that. So, uh, after wasting the first five hours of work, just sort of thinking about all this random stuff and jacks for some reason, it's ludicrous that the story where kids are playing jacks, it doesn't make sense when he thinks about it. He uh, finishes out the day and uh, runs to the store after the workday completes, uh, picks up all the stuff he's going to need for Halloween and heads back to his house, strings up a couple cobwebs, puts a kind of fake pumpkin thing out front and, pours all of his candy into the bowl, getting ready for kids to show up for the day to begin. I guess he's prepared, prophecy fulfilled, message received. Ding, ding, ding. And while he's sitting there, he starts, he's got the candy bowl next to him. He's waiting for Halloween to start and see some flashlights on the streets. And he starts thinking he really likes Halloween and he's nostalgic for when he was a child and got the candy. 
Then he's like, yeah, there's some things I don't like about it too. Like some of the kids are really cute. They have great costumes. It's fun to see the creativity. But then you get the little fat kids that (laughs) just want to steal the candy from you. And it's just disgusting seeing them waddle around and you're like, I'm contributing to hurting this child because I'm giving them this Snickers bar. And I know they're just going to inhale and it's only going to make them unhealthier. Like, should I really be a part of this culture? And as he's reflecting about this, the first children come and say, trick or treat. And I asked them, oh, what are you guys? And the first one is a mad scientist. And the second one is a ding, ding, ding. The second one is a ghoul. <laughs> and the third one is dressed up as a, uh, what do you can only assume is a librarian. <laughs> so he gives these kids candies, uh, compliments the ghoul on his wonderful costume, kind of thinks back how ridiculous it is that he just spent the last full minute thinking about on how unhealthy candy is <laughs> right in the middle of this, all this interesting stuff that's going on. How could that? take so much of his time up he can't even fathom it uh as he looks closer at these kids this first group of kids that comes to his door he notices that through the costume of a ghoul he's not even sure what a ghoul is he he can't see any eyes he can see clearly the retinas of the other two kids through their costumes but this one seems almost completely blank like there's nothing underneath this costume ding 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 And as he's looking at where this kid's eyes would be, he hears the voice one more time, prepare, prepare, prepare. And the first thing he thinks is, how could I have possibly thought getting ready for Halloween was the actual answer to what they want me to prepare for? This is clearly something that's beyond normal rationality. And I'm supposed to be preparing for something else. Then it's absolutely ridiculous. I thought stringing a couple cobwebs in front of my house would have been the solution to what I was supposed to prepare for. So he starts racking his brain and he doesn't even notice that the kids leave and more kids are coming. And he's kind of like just absentmindedly handing out handfuls of candy to these children, no longer engaging them, asking them what they're wearing. But he's just thinking, what am I supposed to be preparing for? And then he remembers something from last summer while he was on vacation. He was talking to ding ding ding. He was talking to uh, a mad scientist, <laughs> real mad scientist, <laughs> who he he encountered because he he decided he was going to do a, a tour of um of the CERN particle accelerator in Switzerland. Yes. <laughs> and the scientist gave him a piece of advice. The scientist said, "You spend way too much of your time on this e- internal monologue where nothing's happening." Like. A minute at a time. It's just too much wasted. And and you're not pushing the plot of your life forward during this time. So he kind of agrees with the mad scientist. But then he remembered the other thing the mad scientist said. The mad scientist said, and, you know, the adjective mad, he just sort of added. It was just a scientist, really. That he was afraid that the experiments at CERN could rip a hole in the fabric of space itself prepare ding 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 he wanted to reflect on the existential reality of space having a hole ripped on in himself but he thought this guy told me not to reflect anymore i should just act (laughs) without thinking it's clearly the solution 
of what scientists think we should do. We should trust them. So he just finds his plane ticket and prepares to fly back home to the United States and live his life as usual. But the thought just creeped in. He couldn't help it. Sometimes your internal thoughts and reflections do push the plot forward. And he thought, if space itself could have a hole ripped in it, how would I prepare for that? And he started thinking of different ways he could protect maybe his house or maybe himself, or if he'd have to get off this planet, or if he needed to be the one to shut down all the scientific experiments to begin with. Science itself was ripping a hole in space, and it needed to be stopped. Ding, ding, ding. After all this reflection, Bobby realizes that the mad scientist, the ghoul, and the librarian are still standing in front of him. <laughs> kind of bizarre, because they've been standing there for three minutes. They already got their candy. At that moment, the other two kids walk away, the mad scientist and the librarian, and all that remains is the ghoul. And the ghoul, in a ghoulish voice, says to Bobby, Prepare. Prepare. Bobby steps backward. The ghoul moves forward, removing the costume and revealing that this is a real, actual ghoul, not a child at all. And the ghoul says to Bobby, just as Bobby had thought, we are in grave danger. Space itself is at risk. Ding, ding, ding. And he says, don't you know, as a ghoul, I'm already dead. And that whether space rips itself apart or not, <laughs> you're going to die one day. And the way you're living your life, just going to work and just watching TV makes us who are dead sick and sad because you have no vision of the future. And we've been asking you to prepare and trying to haunt you, to get you to prepare, to realize that you actually need to live your life and that you need to do something to push the plot forward. And that if you keep wasting your life, not doing anything and not committing to anything, it'll be the scariest existence that could possibly exist. And space might as well have a hole ripped in it. Is that the end of the story? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> it's all right. I think that's not story might've been better. 